Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest this week is Bill Bork. Many of you know him as my co-host on the New Persuasive Words podcast. He's also a pastor, educator, and church leadership consultant. You can find his stuff at ResonantExile.com. Bill, welcome to Snacks. This is so interesting because we're in the same setup with the same microphones doing a different podcast. We're actually twice we're going to do that today. It's- Hi, it's really nice to meet you. I've been a fan for a long time. Thank you for inviting me on your show. <laughs> so we're doing two podcasts today, neither of which is what we normally do. Yes, that's true. It's very interesting. So yeah. we'll get right into it because I try to keep this thing short. Here we go. We Our first lection, as they call them, for the week is Genesis 37, verses 1 through 4, and 12 through 28. Whatever is in 5 through 11 must be so horrific. It could <laughs> yeah. never be read in public worship. But so here we got Jacob. Uh, he's had his 12 sons as a result of his struggle with God last week. I feel like we're doing like a last week when Game of Thrones. Michelle got the fun passage last week. He did get a yeah, fun one. He yeah. did get a fun one. Yeah. He always gets the fun stuff. Uh, uh, Jacob's received his new name, Israel. And now, following the death of his father, Isaac, we see him settle in the land of Canaan. And we've got this really the first story where Joseph pops on the scene, yeah. which, is, which is the longest narrative. Cycle, right? In Genesis? It's it's a long kind of single narrative cycle, yeah. I mean, which has led some people to think it is, uh, it's of a different tradition, because it, it does have a kind of a, a different tone to it, but... And interestingly, Joseph is not really a major player in either testament subsequent to this there's not there's not a big josephine tradition well part of, well there is a kind of a joseph christology in the early church a little bit but it's a lot of its extra testament stuff and part of it is you know uh the victors get to write you know write history uh, the joseph tribes were the northern tribes were ephraim and and so they they are obliterated by the uh by the Assyrians, but even before that uh, let's hope it doesn't go that way for the other men of the north <laughs> that's right we can only hope Amazing episode, but yeah. So no, I think uh, Joseph. Though, I mean, in rabbinical literature, he's he's. It's an interesting thing. Joseph is on one level the quintessential virtuous character. I mean, that sometimes he's portrayed because of his, um, you know, the suffering he went through. I mean, he is a type of Israel. He spends time in prison and exile in Egypt. He prospers. He's punished. So, uh, in some of the literature, Joseph is a is kind of. Uh, embolizes the suffering righteous person. Although he's also often criticized in other rabbinical literature for his arrogance. And of course, this uh, this scene here today is one that gets his arrogance kind of gets him in trouble with his brothers, to say the least. Yeah. And Robert Alter, the great translator of of the Hebrew Bible, he, I mean, he does sort of single volume translators. I think he teaches at Berkeley, Hebrew literature and English literature, but he's written the art of biblical narrative and stuff like that. He says that, um, he notes two things in the text that are kind of interesting. That you see this notion that, uh, 
So Alter notes that this phrase, in Israel loved Joseph, for he was the child of his old age. He, th- he thinks that this is odd because Joseph, is, the fact that he's the son of the beloved Rachel is unmentioned. And because really, it's Benjamin, the lastborn, who's the son of his old age. Uh, and he also thinks that the favoritism uh, is mentioned is immediately is interesting after the report of the questionable behavior. Um, and one recalls how Jacob was the object of his mother's unexpected favoritism. Right. But then he says this, that... Um, there's something he says about his character here that um, that basically that the law of um, first uh, expression uh, is sort of a revelation, literally, some people think of, of a person's character, which seems that Joseph is kind of arrogant. He's the dreamer. He's the, you know. Right, right. And he even says that, that the dreams in, jo- in the Joseph story, uh, they seem a little more secular in orientation than the ones previously in Genesis, and they're not direct messages from God, and they appear that they require human interpretation, uh, and they might have in them some of the desires of Joseph himself that are sort of, yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. Well, and I think, you know, the Joseph narrative, as a morality tale, you do see someone who's who learns to use his gifts for the greater good, both his ability to interpret dreams uh, and his acquisition of power, even the fact that he's this, you know, he has a charisma about him. He ultimately uses that for good, but not without a lot of suffering. Um, it's interesting, uh, those of you that uh, I know you, all of you have your Old Testament pseudepigrapha uh, front and center in your library. So Mine's on my iPhone. <laughs> so if it's holding up your desk or something right now, get it because uh, just read, there's a short passage in the Book of Jubilees, and the Book of Jubilees is written uh, second century before the Common Era. And it's, if you don't know it, it's a retelling of, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fake history. No, it's, uh, it's fake a fake re- history, fake news, fake news. Fake it's, news. Original fake news. it's a retelling of the, uh, Old Testament story from Genesis through the patriarch narratives and Moses and such. But is Donald Trump in it? He is not in it, but maybe in the new edition. Uh, but, uh, the book of Jubilees says that, uh, the day that Joseph was sold into slavery is Yom Kippur. Uh, so it's an interesting and the idea that part of the people of Israel do penance for how they've treated their brothers and treated each other, which I think is an interesting, interesting thing. So, uh, it is an, it is an ambiguous story. It's also, even you have, um, those of you who adhere to the multi-source theory of, uh, the Pentateuch, uh, you have two different versions of it. You, you have a J narrative, which tends to be the, the Yahweh tends to be the predominant narrative. And in that, it's Judah who, kind of saves his life. But in the uh, Eloist uh, version, it's Reuben. And it, in some levels, that makes sense because Reuben is the one in the end who offers to be a hostage for Benjamin's life. So it, it's there's a lot of... Wait, I thought Judah offers to at the end. No, I think it's Reuben. I didn't I didn't reread it, but I think... Yeah, I'm, I'm but, almost sure. Look at this, Bill. Battle of the Bibles. I'm almost sure. That I, don't, I don't have a paper Bible. Uh, what I do have, though... I think it's... No, I think it's Reuben. Judah is the one... Uh, who says that sell them to the Ish, Ishmaelites? Um, but it is uh, Reuben who sells them to the says to go to the Midianites. Oh, right! In the beginning, I'm mm-hmm. thinking at the end of the story. I think it's Reuben. Yeah, I think it, I'm almost positive. All right, hold on. We got. Are we going to check this out? Bible trivia. This is a children's. You going to a children's version? Well, that's the closest paper Bible I had to my hand. Well, that, that could probably that was probably put out by uh, the tribe of Judah, so we can't. It's their propaganda. Judah rose to his feet. 
Uh, if we go home to our father and the boy Benjamin is with us, our father will die. Yeah, it was Judah. No, I don't think so. Check the real Bible. All Reuben's right. the oldest one. Anyway. All right, let's check. Like, this is very interesting. Okay, let's check it. Uh, this is the real Bible. This is the translation. So this is chapter, what chapter are we going to go to? Uh, 40. I actually know I'm right here, but, and I'll tell you why I know I'm right in a minute. Um, yeah, and Judah rose and said, my Lord. Yeah, so Judah raises. Bring him down to me. Um, yeah, it's Judah. And then Judah says, so after Joseph says, or Judah says, if I do not bring him to you, I will bear the, I will bear the blame to my father for all time. And so let your servant pray stand instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad be not with us? Yeah, that's Judah. Okay. I, I thought there was a ribbon, but I... No, tell you, no, let me tell you why I think that's significant that it's Judah. Because I actually think the editing is the, the redemption of Judah in that... What you have is Judah starts as pretty ambiguous. And then what's funny in the middle of the narrative, Genesis 38, right? All of a sudden we're back to Judah again. And Judah, you see like actually the, the, the bad parenting, like it, it is, affects Joseph and Judah. Like Joseph, this is a little, little self-righteous, the tattletale, the kind of fool of himself. And then Judah's the one that he can't, well, if there's, if there's no kids being born, it's got to be Tamar. It's not my boys. Right, right. <laughs> they keep dying. It's, and then it's interesting at the end of the Tamar thing where she, deceives him as the prostitute gets the signet ring. His answer is interesting. He says, you're more righteous than me. She's the prostitute. Right. Well, she's his daughter. Yeah. Right. She's the, who's been a prostitute. Right. He realizes he's wronged her. And there's this interesting move of seeming like self-awareness. Like, I, okay, I'm wrong. I, 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 this is, and then by the end of it, you get the oldest brother who's willing to lay down his life for the youngest. Well, it's also the Southern right. them rewriting or editing the, the text. And it's just interesting. It does reverse a, a problem that seemingly in the family system where like Jacob, the younger brother, kind of <laughs> tries tries to supplant the older. Uh, and of course, you have the law of primogeniture and stuff like that. But here, it, it, it's I think it's really moving at the end that Judah, the older, is actually willing to lay his life down and trade places with the younger. And, and that's when Joseph cries. I mean, he, he can't hold the... That's his penance. Yeah. He does finally owns Judah, finally admits to his original sin. Yeah. And so I think there's a... In, in some sense, you could re- read the story as the redemption of Judah. And if you wanted to be Christological with it, like the patristics or something, you could see a yeah. type of Christ in, that, in Judah there. A lot there. Good luck with that. This Good week. luck with that one. Good luck with that one. There we go. And we have had, I, I, I found it even in the real Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and next we go to the book of Romans. You ever see that one of uh, Bruno where um, he's interviewing the, the uh, reparations therapy pastor in Alabama? <laughs> and he says, Oh, right here. We're doing a Bible study in the book of Romans. Romans 1. And, and Bruno goes, oh, I love Romans. <laughs> I love Romans. <laughs> uh, Romans 10, where, you know, Paul's noted already that the Greeks have attained oneness with God without diligently pursuing it, while Jews have strived for such relations without achieving it. This is not my summary. This is from a lectionary intro kind of webpage. Their approach has been through the law rather than directly with God. It seems like a kind of interpretive glance, but if you're looking for something, you're bold and you could put it there. (laughs) But this is, it has this great, you know, Romans 10. Some people call this the Roman road to salvation, right? Right. Is this part of the Romans road? Those of us who learned that, yes. I love Romans. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, and you have this notion, uh, this great notion that faith comes through hearing and that 
people have to take people people have to take it and proclaim it and, and so of course it's wedged between chapters 9 and 11 where there's this great debate we're not and not even debate but Paul's Paul's working it out ruminating on yeah. how this can be true that yeah. that these the, that the ones to whom belong the covenant the promises the patriarchs are refusing a great gift yeah so, yeah it is i mean this this passage <clears throat> uh, in many ways it's the heart part of the heart of what we do um you know uh, how can they hear if they have no one to tell them yeah uh how can they believe if they've never heard and how are they to hear without a preacher it's the orsv translation of that but yeah it's a powerful passage about um the word is near on your lips and in your heart. And so, you know, we believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved and you profess with your lips. So this powerful, uh, almost, you know, the, the rule of faith here in the middle of this. What is the heart of the Christian message in the middle of, like you said, this is in the side where Paul reflects on what it is, the hope that has been revealed in Messiah Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very moving passage. There's also something here that is interesting that I was thinking of when I read it. Um, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we can, because if you confess. Um, it, it's interesting that I, I was thinking about what Jesus says in the Gospels about how it's not what goes into you that defiles, but comes out, what comes out of you. Mm-hmm. And... I was thinking, it's, it's, it's not what comes into you that defies you now that goes. Yeah, right. It's, it's what, yeah, right. It's what comes out of you. So here, I was thinking, you know, it's almost like an echo of that. That here, that what comes out of you, which is the which is the cry for deliverance, that comes in the confession of faith in Jesus. Um, it's interesting, kind of parallel with. Well, it's and it's also a reminder. I'm, you know. My, I don't know what percentage of people listening to this are going are preparing sermons, and hopefully most of you at least are listening to them. But there is, and if you're preaching it, hopefully you're listening at the same time, right? Yeah, um, that it's a reminder of you know what the old King James version called the foolishness of preaching. But there's something unique that happens in the word proclaimed, and I would even go as far as saying that the word proclaimed face to face. I think uh, you know we're glad these podcasts are at fine for you and hopefully yeah stop saying don't, no no <laughs> it's just as good if you can only hear it no <laughs> yeah what <laughs> there's something unique that happens in the context of the word delivered in the context of a worship service uh, in the context of both your week your life a pastor who's struggling to be a person of faith and leading a group of people who are struggling as well and um it's, it's, it's interesting that Martin Lloyd-Jones said that he didn't like to see people take notes during his sermons. And part of it was he wasn't ho- was hoping that what he was presenting wasn't principles, but the risen Christ, meeting them there. And so that what he wanted them to do midweek when they were depressed or anxious or struggling is not go to their notes, but go to the risen Christ who they yeah. saw in the proclamation. Um, yeah, yeah. It's one of the strangest things in terms of holy history that— you know, God in the Jewish Christian tradition didn't drop a book from heaven, but that his living word comes through frail people speaking, thus saith the Lord. And I love that um, passage from Bart's uh, Word of God, Word of Man, where we do the absurd thing every week. We we try, we attempt to speak of God, but we must speak of God. Yeah. And the gospel requires it to be proclaimed. Uh, it It's not going to Get to people by them accidentally bumping into your building. Uh, we we yeah. need to speak it. Yeah. 
And then we're on to the gospel reading, which is great passage. I mean, not that they're all not great, but some are more familiar than others. You know, I've always thought, you know, the key to preaching gospel text is just get out of the way. I mean, if you can just find a way just to give them, give them these powerful images and stories, and this is one that those of us who went to Sunday school, this is, this is in the Sunday school canon. We can all see this one happening. Absolutely. Matthew 14, uh, verses... 12, 22 through 33, where we've had the death of John the Baptist, Jesus before this seems to be distraught, and then we have the feeding of the 5,000. And you get the sense that there's still there's still like a cloud of kind of darkness. Like, you know, it's, 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 well, the Matthew version of that, you mentioned, or the Mark version of that, is almost has a military kind of, you know, he even groups them, you know, what, is a, what are 5,000 men doing in the wilderness during a, during a Jewish festival? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the fact that there was this kind of unrest and, and even they, they get, they get organized into companies. I mean, it's, it's so, yeah, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of tension and a lot of, uh, Robert Capon says something like that miracle is the last time, the, la- the last big time you could see Jesus as a traditional Messiah figure. Feeding the people, a massive art. Like, yeah, it, it, and he, he, he sees like a transition in the parables and some other ways Jesus he starts does hiding things. after that. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, yeah. It's, it's a move to left handed, not right handed. Well, because power. they want, they, this is, um, you know, like it says in the Grand Inquisitor, uh, they'll trade truth for bread anytime. So, yeah, that was, that was, I think, uh, you know, uh, I think not the last temptation of Jesus, but the daily temptation of Jesus was to try to help more than he should. Yeah, yeah, and, and why? Yeah, I mean, and with great power and great compassion, why? Would, I mean, it's interesting to think of the temptations early that that sort of that that reality is present yeah. in the beginning of the ministry of yeah, Jesus. Absolutely, but this one is a great one. You know, in terms of the boys, Jesus sends them on ahead, <laughs> uh, and I always when I think of the. The, uh, the the stuff that happens on the Sea of Galilee. And again, it's a lake, but it does. It is below sea level, so it gets these tumultuous storms. Matter of fact, I was on the Sea of Galilee, and I'm thinking, gosh, at one time, how can you have a storm? How could it, you know, you're, I'm skeptical, and suddenly the wind starts blowing, and the boats start going <laughs> back and forth. So that was God sending me a sign. So the boys are going across the uh, the water, and it is troubled. Yeah, and they see one on the sea who is Jesus. Yeah, that alone would be enough to make you lose your lunch right there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, it, storms of life are terrifying, uh, but something we must never lose sight of. Encountering God in life is even more terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it, it's interesting. I mean, right, like Peter walks out. Well, I like this one. I mean, of all, this, of, of all the things, you, if you wanted to figure out it was Jesus, who in the right mind would say, if it's you, tell me to come on out? <laughs> I mean, let's face it, you know, I mean, the, the Jesus needed an inner monologue, or Paul, Peter needed an inner monologue because, and can you imagine when he hears, yeah, come on out. Right, right. And the Aramaic, it says, oh, shit. That's what Peter <laughs> says. <laughs> so, yeah. Quote Bill in that. Yeah. No, I actually, I said that one time, I gave a talk on this and uh, to a group of leaders, and only one person laughed when I said that. Everyone That's, else looked that, scandalized. That was funny. I thought that was uh, well, funny. Well, were you there? <laughs> it must have been you. <laughs> so this is interesting. I was looking, um, Frank Lake says this about this passage, which I think is good pastoral wisdom. Um, he's talking about this this fear not emphasis in the Bible. He says, the true physicians of this condition in the Bible and in pastoral theology give the contrary prescription. It's not actually fight or flight. The remedy is not in flight, but in steady endurance on the spot. Stand still and see the salvation of God. Stand your ground in the onslaught of mental pain. 
using the metaphors of the waters of the unconscious. When the, flood, when the floods lift up their waves, then the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thou rulest the raging of the sea when the waves therefore arise. Thou stillest them. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual degree that it cannot pass? And he says, coming to the New Testament, the story of Peter walking on the waters is clearly symbolic of this fact. Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I must remain on this spot and be renewed inwardly, wrote Sir Kierkegaard in his private diary at a time of great trouble. Yeah, first of all, to all people throughout history who have given Peter a hard time, uh, Peter's walked on the water three or four more steps than any of you have. Right. Well, we don't know who's well, listening. Private, <laughs> private miracle, super there, there might be metahumans or mutants that are worse than right. To the best of our knowledge, there's only two people who walked on the water, and Peter was one, one of them. So I think sometimes, I mean, of course, Jesus chides him, but that's part of Matthew's uh, scheme there. But he tried. And I always, I, 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 something about Peter willing to try that, um, Peter makes a lot of mistakes, but he makes he tends to make his mistakes in motion, and uh, those are ones that usually are easier to redeem. And he was getting it right. I mean, that's the thing. Like he was walking. I mean, I, Lake is interesting there because I think that that the fight or flight tendency versus the, to to remain present in anxieties and troubles and in, in, in challenges and things that are cause phobic reactions and like that. Like it's hard, but he he's doing it, and then he kind of. And I think this is like what. It's funny because Schleiermacher calls sin God forgetfulness. So it's, it's that, like he thinks it's just like the world is just so intense that it overwhelms your sense that God is is real and present and 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 is redemptive in you. And so yeah, I mean this is the whole life of faith, right? Is forgetfulness and remembrance. Yeah, I think the other thing too. This is my second favorite prayer in the Bible. My first one is I believe, help me in my unbelief in Mark chapter nine, the, the father of the epileptic boy, and then Peter's. Prayer here is one is probably the most basic and most important one we can ever pray. Lord, save me. Yeah. So that's not may uh, you who are preaching this week pray that. No, absolutely. And and pray and we pray that that people pray would pray that um, your ears. God bless you this week. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating. Write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Th- thanks again to Bill Board for being my guest. Again, you can find out more about his exploits at ResonExile.com. Thanks again for listening to Snacks. And until next time, fare thee well.